Well, good morning, everyone. You know, you guys did a great job in the adults. I don't think they were really chiming in on that one. So we'll give them a chance to answer too, okay? Does that sound good? How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Well, this part of our service is called Poetry Pals. You know that, but we've got some visitors. And this is an opportunity where if there's any kiddos out there, whether you're young or old, you know, 9 or 90, if you want to come and hang out with us, then you're welcome to come up here. Let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these kiddos, that parents and neighbors and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends, whoever it is that brought them here, Lord, that we just bless you and we thank you that you did that. Just as in the New Testament, when the friends brought their friend that was crippled and they lowered him through the hole in the roof, um, God, we do the same with our loved ones. We just want to get them close to you so that you could see our faith and in our faith that they might be blessed with the gift of faith and that they would abandon their lives unto you for your glory. We love you, Lord Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, have any of you ever played the game hide and seek? How about you guys out there? We've got a a few people that have played hide and go seek. Well, I'm going to ask you all that part of Poetry Pals this morning is that we're going to play hide and go seek. Okay, so you guys are going to count to 10, and I'm going to hide, okay? And then you have to try and find me, all right? So you have to close your eyes. Everybody, if I find you peeking, you're in big trouble. Okay, here we go. Count to 10. Connor's already cheating. Count to 10 out loud. You guys already found me? Wait a second. That was like, I thought for sure if I hid behind that straw, you might find me. Okay, let's do it one more time. I got a better place, okay? Close your eyes. No peeking, Connor. All right, here we go. Count to 10. You guys found me again? Oh, goodness gracious, i got to come up with a better hiding place. I wasn't really trying to hide from you, but you know what's really silly is that people try to hide from God. Isn't that silly? God is almighty. He's omnipotent. That means he knows everything. He's omniscient. He's everywhere all the time. There's no place that we can go that we can hide from God. But sometimes people are so embarrassed because of their sin and the way that they live their lives that they want to go and they want to hide from God. So I'm just going to read from Psalm 139 real quick. And your job, your task, is to try and think when Pastor Kevin's preaching today from Psalm 107 is how does Psalm 139 connect, tie in with Psalm 107. Very good. Here we go. I'm going to read this for you. Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand upon me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go all the way up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the pit, you're there too. If I live as far away as the eastern horizon or as far as the western limits, even there your hand is upon me and leads me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not day to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. What do you think that psalm, that song, remember psalms are songs, they're poetry, they're songs that we sing. What do you think that song is about? What do you guys think that song's about? Well, yeah, it's about God. You can't hide from God. Where could you possibly go to hide from God? Any ideas? What if you went up to Jupiter? Mm, The moon? What if you got on a rocket ship and you went like 30 million light years away? What about then? Are you guys just saying that or do you really believe it? There's nowhere that we can go. So what I want you to think about today, again, is how does it tie into Psalm 107? But more importantly is to know that there's nowhere that you can go, that there's nothing that you could ever do that would make God stop loving you. He is the God of relentless pursuit, and there's no sin that's too big. There's no sin that's too big. Can y'all say that with me? There's no sin that's too big. See, when Jesus went to the cross and he died for the sin of the world, he already knew every sin that you would ever commit in your lives, every one of them, even the ones you haven't even thought of yet, the ones that you haven't done. And he said, it is finished. He paid the debt that we could never pay, and he wants you to know that's how much he loves you. And our response to that isn't to just become church people. It's not to do religious stuff or check boxes. The response to that, the only response to who Jesus is and what he's done is that we abandon our lives unto him. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you again for today. We pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us, fill our hearts, fill this place, and make our worship pleasing and acceptable to you this morning. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wow, right? Has nothing to do with the message. I just thought we'd know. But that was a test whether or not you laughed. If you laugh, then you're a horrible person. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's not true at all. Because if it was true, I'd be a horrible person right there with you. So oftentimes it begins with, hey, I've got a great idea, right? What could possibly go wrong, right? Final, fatal, last words of a fool. When people think they can pull something off themselves, It's not a recent invention, is it? It's not a recent invention. It it dates back a few years, right? It goes back to, is it the 80s? The 1800s? It goes all the way back to Eden. We could do it ourselves. We got this. 
We're hardwired for DIY, independence and autonomy. It's our declaration, not just as Americans, but as a human race. Auto repair, cooking, music, medical procedures. You guys have all done the home appendectomy, right? I hope not. Maybe you're saying, not me. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not that person. And all of us in here go, ooh, they don't know. They don't know. You're still in denial. You've never had a go at life without Christ? You've never had a go at life without Christ? Hmm. Never put it on autopilot, watch things implode? Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was parenting. Maybe it was a business. Maybe it was choices that you've made in life. Maybe it was watching a loved one and their life implode. Life shatter into a million pieces. Maybe you're still in that boat. Maybe you're back in that boat again. But the good news is, it doesn't have to stay there, right? The good news, the gospel truth, is that Jesus is king. Amen? And his mercies are new every morning. And if that doesn't get you excited, then you don't know him. You don't know him. But maybe today, maybe today's your day. Back in the 1980s, there was a TV show, The Love Boat. I want so badly to sing the theme song, but my wife told me I couldn't. It seems innocent enough, right, when we read this passage of Scripture, and sometimes we don't even know it. We don't even realize that we're doing it, is that we take our current position our current thoughts, our current culture, our current perspective, and what we do is we lay that over the top of Scripture, and it becomes the lens through which we interpret and we read God's Word. And it's horrible. It's terrible. It seems innocent enough, but we take that do-it-yourself mentality and we apply it to our reading of God's Word. And we come to verses like this, with the love boat in mind. Oh, I want so bad to sing it. They went down to the sea in ships. That seems pretty good, right? Captain Steubing, Isaac, Julie welcoming you on board. And if you didn't grow up in the 80s or you don't know anything about love boat, you don't have to go back and watch it. You can. But it's this idea that we have is that we are the center of the universe and all things revolve around me. Conducting business on the mighty waters. That doesn't sound too bad. It doesn't sound too bad. But the thing is, is that it wasn't written to us. It wasn't written to you. It wasn't. It was written in a cultural context. It was written to a group of people. It was written to the Israelites in their language, in their geography, their experiences, their idioms. It was written not to us, but for us. And when we don't do our part, 
and we don't transport ourselves back into that historical, literary context, we end up with a love boat interpretation and translation of God's Word. So I want to help us out because we're going to be in Psalm 107 today, beginning in verse 23. But before we get there, I want to tell you what the sea meant to people in ancient Near Eastern cultures. You say, Pastor, you're spending a lot of time on this. It's critical. It's important. See, because if we don't understand who God is in and through his word, we end up with a warped picture of God. And then if we take that warped picture of who God is and we superimpose it back on his word, there is no life within his word. So we have to do our part. In those ancient Near Eastern cultures, Egypt, Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Israel, the sea isn't a love boat picture. It represented terror. It represented chaos. It represented the unknown. It represented impending, imposing death and doom. That's what it represented. So when we look at slides like this, and I could put a slogan or a title for today's sermon down to the sea, and you think, sailing's nice. Sailing's nice. I like Calvin Klein ads. I like the idea of going with my new boat shoes, and it's like a holiday weekend, Labor Day at the lake, down to the sea. Ah, that sounds pretty good. But the problem is, is this is what it actually should look like, down to the sea dark and foreboding. What's that in the water? They didn't know. It was the fear of the unknown. That's what we end up with for a title, and this is what we end up with a translation for a slide, the love boat. They went down to the sea in ships conducting business, but what it should look like is this. is this. They went down to the sea in ships, conducting business on the mighty waters. That should be how we feel about it. And if we don't, if we don't have that jaw-dropping moment, if we aren't hit in the gut with this idea that it's about doom and terror, the unknown and fear, what we do is we hit the eject button from God and his presence, and we end up outside of Eden once again. We end up with things in our lives and in our church culture where we say, God, I don't really need you. I don't really need you, and I don't really need a clear understanding of your word. And when we get together in our Bible studies, the phrase that I loathe more than any, well, what that means to me is, who cares what it means to you. The divine author God has something to say to us, for us. He doesn't need to know what Pastor Kevin has to say or what you have to say. So don't sit there and tell people what that means to me is. And then we come into our church circles and we say, Pastor, I've got a good idea for a ministry. Is it spirit-led? Well, I don't really know about that. It's just a good idea. 
I've got a good intention. Let's do a project. Let's do a program. See, because it's about do it yourself. I've got this feeling. Is it truly spirit-led? Or is it counterfeit spirituality? Is it newness of life in Christ? Or is it merely new age? I wonder how many things we do within our churches would pass the test of spirit-led. Are we truly patient and waiting on the Lord? Or are we looking down the street? What are they doing over there? We should do that. We should do that. Let's imitate their programs. Let's do all of the same externals as they're doing down there. And see, if we imitate what they're doing, then maybe we'll grow like they're growing. They've got 5,000 people over there, Pastor. Let's imitate. Let's mimic what they're doing, and then our church will grow. And as one of my friends in ministry, another pastor said, cancer's a growth. Cancer is a growth. Is it spirit-led? Is our interpretation and understanding of God's word truly from God? Or is it what that means to me? So when we read Psalm 107.23, we should be absolutely rocked. It should feel like someone picked up a 30-pound fish, slapped us in the face because it says they went down to the sea. They went down to the place of terror and despair and uncertainty after everything that God has done, after everything that we've read through, abandoned unto Yahweh, after he's delivered us out of the desolate wilderness in verse 4. After he delivers us again out of gloom and iron, in verse 10. After he delivers us again from folly and the very gates of death that we hold on to. After he delivers and delivers and delivers. Here we find in verse 23, after all that, they thought it would be better. We think it would be better to go down into the unknown to take our chances out there on the open waters and maybe never, ever come home. Jesus, that's, that's preferable to abandoning unto you, to giving you my life, my all, my creator, my savior, my respite, my God. That out there, the unknown death, drowning, doom, that's preferable to you. Instead, we like Israel, like all of humanity, we take the DIY approach. We go down to the sea. It's a willful, elective, progressive degradation of our very humanity made in the image and likeness of God. Let's go and do it on our own. Let's go down to the sea rather than acknowledge the king. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. If you're not sure where Jonah is, it's to the right of where we are in Psalms. You go past Ezekiel and Daniel, and if you make it to Micah or Matthew, you've gone too far. How about if I just give you the page number?
Jonah. Give you just a minute to go get there. I'm not going to start without you. You might even be thinking in your heart, maybe you're someone who's heard the story. Maybe you grew up in church, right? You grew up in church. Maybe you've even been a Sunday school teacher and you say, I've taught Jonah. I had the flannel graph. I had the little, you know, the Fisher Price, you know, little people. And we did the whole thing. We did Jonah. I know all about it, right? Defiant dude, big fish, right? A bunch of up on the beach, right? You got this guy Jonah going there and saying, 40 days, 40 days. You've got a bunch of people in Nineveh saying, God, we're sorry. Jonah sitting there underneath his plant saying, not my plant, the end. We got it. Let's move on, pastor. Let's move on. I got it. Maybe indulge me just for a couple of minutes, please. Just for a couple minutes, indulge me. What about his name, Jonah? Do you know what that means? It means dove. Imagine that. God weaving something into the story that would cause us to look back to creation and the flood, that would cause us to look forward to Jesus. But you already knew all that, right? Noah and the flood waters. What was it that was a sign of peace and God's provision? Land, our harbor? Our safe place? What was it? It was a dove. And what did he have in his mouth? He had an olive branch. Come the time of Jesus in the New Testament, at his baptism in those waters of the Jordan, baptized by John, not for the repentance of sin, right? That's not why Jesus got baptized. He didn't do it to model for us what we should do. It's identification. That's what baptism is. It's identification. Jesus said that I am marrying myself to sinful humanity. I myself, the Lamb of God, am spotless and pure. And I'm identifying with you so perfectly that when the wrath of God is poured out upon me, that when you identify with me, in and through accepting my spirit and the gift of faith, that the Father will look past your sins and he will see my sacrifice at the cross. That's what God sees. And that's the truth of the story. And Jesus goes the night that he's arrested into a place called what? Gethsemane the olive press, the olive press, the dove at Jesus's baptism, the night of his arrest, he goes to the olive press, and as it tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The Lamb of God in the olive press. And see, when we go into Jonah and we begin to read, if we don't take all of that and put it inside of our theological pockets, what we end up with, it's a story about a whale. That would be a fun one for the kids. 
It's a story about avoiding and averting the judgment of God that is just around the corner, that comes like a thief in the night. And if you're not ready for it because you've not abandoned unto Yahweh, you've given him everything that you have, every ounce of your life burned up as a burnt offering, poured out like a drink offering, Jesus, take everything that I have, have mercy upon my soul. And he says, yes, I will, because it pleases me to do so. It's about our response. It's not about a big fish. It's not about global evangelism. Is it in there? Yes, but that's not the point. It's not about exclusivism, religious exclusivism by the nation of Israel. Is it in there? Yes. But it's about our response to the Creator, to God Almighty. How do you respond to the truth of who God is? Jesus, he is our reprieve. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish, which many scholars believe is as far away as the opposite side of the Mediterranean, possibly in modern day Spain, Tarshish. Wherever it was, Jonah was fleeing. He was fleeing from the Lord's presence. He went down, down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord threw up a great wind onto the sea and such a storm that arose on the sea that the ship was threatening to break apart. The sailors were afraid. Men who did this for a living were in terror. And each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down, down, down to the lowest part. The lowest part of the ship. And what did he do when he got there? He laid down, and then he got down, and he fell asleep. Down, 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 down. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? You're sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe your God will consider us, and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who's to blame for this trouble. So they cast lots. They singled out Jonah. And they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? Who are your people? Jonah answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens. He's the one who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized with great fear, and they said to Jonah, What is this that you've done? 
The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. Jonah answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so it'll calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that's against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped. It's raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah went down into the belly of the fish three days and three nights, down, 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 and down. Our response should be abandoned unto Yahweh because of his covenant loyalty, his kessed love, his relentless pursuit. King Jesus, our reprieve, our harbor, he went down. He went down from heaven. He went down into the belly of a woman. He went down and took on human flesh. He went down into a feeding bin. He went down into a literal death for you and for me. He went down into Joseph's tomb, darkness and death. Jesus went down. And so how do we respond to that a polite form of religion to continue wandering in desolate wastelands to choose deliberately to live in gloom and iron to hold fast to folly clutching with our dear lives holding on to the gates of death going down to the sea despair, and darkness until eventually we become so hardened in our hearts we become the worst kind. We become religious hypocrites filled with good ideas and intentions, projects and programs, pseudo-spirituality, no life, no Holy Spirit dwelling or leading, Pharisees standing there, screaming, demanding, crucify him, crucify him. Therefore, the Lord said, these people draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is merely rules and traditions taught by men. 
Isaiah 29, 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there, wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave to him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? I will go to my father. I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came unto his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. It's a beautiful picture, amen? I said that we were in Psalm 107. I'm going to read for us verses 23 to 32. My translation may vary from yours a little bit, but just bear with me. They went down to the sea in ships, conducting business on the mighty waters, they saw Yahweh's deeds and his wonders in the deep. He speaks and raises the stormy gale. It stirred the waves looming high. The swells rose up to the heavens, crashing down to the depths, and their souls melted away in terror. They reel and stagger like a drunkard, all their skill is devoured. They cried out unto Yahweh in their desire, in their dire straits, and he delivered them from the enemy. He silenced the storm, and its breakers are hushed. They rejoiced when the waves were stilled. Furthermore, he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Abandon unto Yahweh for his covenant loyalty 
and his extravagant works lavished upon the descendants of Adam. Exalt him in the assembly of the people. Praise him in the council of the elders. This part of our service is a time of invitation, a time of response. It's not about religious formalism. It's not about checking boxes. It's not about putting on a show for anyone. It's a response to Jesus, our harbor, our Savior. Will you abandon unto Yahweh? Or will you go down to the sea in ships? This is a time in our service we call the benediction. It's not our invention. That's what they call it in a lot of places. Um, the benediction is the sending out. See, because as I've said many times, if what we hear from God in this place stays in here, then it is an epic and total failure. If it doesn't make it out there into the world as salt and light in your homes, in your families, in your places of business. It's an epic failure. This isn't checking the box. We're good. See you next Sunday. We're supposed to be conformed into the image of our Savior and our King, Jesus. And so I want to read something to you. I preached a sermon on this a long time ago. It's been close to two years from Proverbs 31. I had several women come up to me afterwards and say, thank you. Thank you because my dad used to tell me that I didn't measure up. My husband has told me that I don't measure up. There have been men in my life that have opened up God's word and used it as a battering ram against my self-esteem and my identity and said, you don't measure up. And I want to tell you that those people are absolute fools. They're fools. See, the Proverbs 31 woman isn't a picture of an individual female. It's not a standard by which you as a woman should aspire to be. It's a picture of God's people. It's us. The redeemed, those who have abandoned unto Yahweh. That's who the Proverbs 31 woman is. And if you go and you read it, not through the lens of some fool who wanted to beat you down, but you read it through the love of our Father, who while when we were still far away, ran up to meet us. The Son who stepped down from heaven. Down, down, down. There's life in these words. 
And if someone takes them and uses them in the wrong way to put you in shackles and in chains and to make you feel defeated, then shame on that person. Jesus said, it's better that a millstone were tied around your neck and that you were thrown into the sea, into that dark despair. Then you cause one of these, one of these children, one of mine to stumble. So in Proverbs 31, the picture of the church, in verse 14, it says, it reads, She is like the merchant ships, exporting her bread, her sustenance from far away. Are we doing that, church family? Are we coming up with ideas, projects, and programs? Or are we exporting the bread of life Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel, to people far away who are lost, deluded, and disillusioned. In verse 24, it says, She, the bride of Christ, the people of God, she makes and sells garments. She provides belts to the merchants. She's so good at what she does that these other people, and she's so strategic that she's going to go to the places that she knows where other people are. They're going to spread the gospel out to the ends of the earth. It's not an us thing in this room. It's a place where she's strategic about everything that she does, every penny that's spent. Not so that we can recreate nostalgia and the things that we experience as church kids and our kids can have the same traditions that we had. We break those things. And we are a spirit-led church for the glory of God. Strength and honor are her clothing. She laughs at the times to come. Does that define us? And if it doesn't, it's not shame, it's not condemnation, because there is no condemnation in Christ. And so that may be the enemy telling you that you're not good enough, that we're not living up, but instead what we should hear is today is an opportunity for newness of life. That we change that old mindset that we repent from our sin and we abandon unto Yahweh. That's my benediction message. That's a little bonus sermon that you get today. Is that when you go out from this place, loving and serving as salt and light, that we reveal Christ. I want us to look at our vision statement. I know this is a little bit hard to read. It, at least it is for me but I've got it memorized, so if you can't read it, that's okay. Let's all stand together. We're going to read our vision, not with the love boat mentality, but with the mentality of the Proverbs 31 woman, the mentality of who God is, our Savior who stepped down from heaven, our vision, a Spirit-led church revealing Christ through unity and worship in our mission, how we do that. Here we go. Pursue, win, disciple the lost, deluded, and disillusioned for God's glory. Let's sing. Let's sing. In my wrestling and in my doubts, 
In my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea.